You are listening to the podcast of First Baptist Church of Sevierville, where our mission is helping people move from their point of need to hope in Christ. For more information about our church, head on over to severe.church. Today's sermon, Hope for Sinners, Zacharias, is part two of the series, The Songs of Christmas, shared by Senior Pastor Dan Spencer. Well, thank you so much for being here today. Uh, didn't you enjoy our children singing? And, uh, and then our, our band leading us today, so uh, great and warm and worshipful with the mandolin and all that. Love that, uh, just singing those good uh, Christmas carols. Uh, well, if you have your Bible, and I hope you do, please find Luke chapter 1. And it's my privilege and my duty today to open God's Word with you. And, uh, and let's see what God has to say to us today. Uh, I've said it before uh, last Sunday, what would Christmas be without Christmas songs? We're talking about the songs of Christmas uh, during the month of December. And I just can't imagine Christmas without those songs that make us think, the songs that make us laugh, the songs that make us smile uh, when we uh, sing about Christmas. I was curious, I, I took a look at uh, Spotify's top five most streamed songs for Christmas this year. And I was a little bit surprised, I guess, uh, at what I saw. Uh, let me give you those in reverse order. Number five was It's Beginning to Look a Lot Like Christmas, the Michael Buble version. Um, it's really good. 864 million streams. This Christmas season. It's crazy, isn't it? Uh, number four, Santa Tell Me by Ariana Grande. Full disclosure, I've never heard that song in my life. Uh, Ariana's great, but Santa Tell Me, it must be a good song. 896 million streams. Number three, I do know this, I've heard it all my life. It's the old version by Brenda Lee of Rocking Around the Christmas Tree. 925 million streams on Spotify. Number two is the only song on the list from my era, the 80s, by the great band Wham. That's Wham with an exclamation point. And it's last Christmas. I gave you my heart the very next day. You gave it away. What a great song. And then number one, the number one song, you probably know what it is. I mentioned it last week. It's Mariah Carey. All I want for Christmas is you. Listen to this. 1.5 billion streams. Wow. Everybody loves Christmas songs. And all those songs are fun. Uh, but let me just turn the corner here on that conversation and say this. For Christmas, for Christians, we're a little heartbroken that none of those songs is about Jesus. And, and what we want to hear, I mean, all those songs are fun, and I listen to them uh, just like you do, but we want to hear songs about the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ at Christmas time. We want to hear about the hope we have because Jesus was born. We want to hear the truth of how God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that we could be saved. And so here's what I'm doing this month. I'm, I'm trying to just crank up the volume on the original Christmas songs. And the ones I'm talking about are the songs that are given to us 
in the Bible, in Luke chapter 1 and 2, there are four songs there that surround the birth of the Lord Jesus. Most people, or many people, know them by their Latin names. Last week, we looked at the song of Mary. In Luke chapter 1, it's called the Magnificat. Uh, Next week, we'll look at the most famous uh, of the songs of Christmas, and that is the song of the angels to the shepherds. It's called the Gloria in Excelsis Deo. We sang that song uh, or that phrase this morning. And then the last day of the month, uh, or last Sunday of the month, Christmas Eve, we'll look at the song of Simeon called the Nunc Dimittis. And today, we're going to look at what's known as the Benedictus. This is the song of Zacharias. Uh, We're going to begin in Luke 1, verse 67. And this song in particular is one that it really helps to know the backstory. And so let me give you the backstory uh, for just a few minutes. So Luke tells us in chapter 1, there's this godly older couple. How old, we don't know. The Bible just says, and I quote, they were well advanced in years. And so I don't know what that means to you. It puts them in the top age bracket, okay? These are elderly people, very godly. Their names are Zacharias and Elizabeth. They live in the hill country of Judea where Zacharias is a country priest. And Zacharias and Elizabeth are are godly. They've served the Lord together in ministry for a long time. They've always wanted to have kids. They pray and ask God over and over to give them children, but that never happened for them. The biggest opportunity of Zechariah's life comes, as a priest anyway, comes when he's called up to Jerusalem to go and serve a rotation with the other priests in the temple. One day, he is selected to go into the holy place in the temple. It's quite an honor to do that and to burn incense as the people outside are praying. That's the way they did it back then. While he's in there, something absolutely incredible and amazing happens to Zacharias. You ready? The angel Gabriel appears to him and begins to speak to him. Now this is so significant because up to that moment with Zacharias, the people of Israel, God's people have not heard a word from heaven for 400 years. For 400 years, there was no prophet giving a message from God, no angel bringing a message from God. Heaven was silent for 400 years until that moment when the angel appears to Gabriel and begins to speak. It's quite a moment. And what the angel tells the old priest is is surprising. He says, Zacharias, man, your prayers have been answered. Your wife is going to have a son, and you're going to name him John, which means, by the way, God is a gracious giver. He really is. Your wife's going to have a, you and your wife are going to have a baby together, and your son John is going to be the prophet that announces and prepares the way for the Lord, the Messiah, the Savior of the world to come. Uh, It's incredible news. Zacharias does what many of us would do, And that is, he doubted what the Lord told him through that angel. And he says something like this, Angel, I I just don't know that that can happen. That my wife and I can have a son. We are old. And so, in that moment, 
God rendered Zacharias mute, unable to speak for nine months because he doubted. I guess to give him a lot of time to choose his next words very carefully. Fast forward six months later, the same angel appears to a young girl named Mary, a relative of Elizabeth. Uh, She's engaged to be married. She's not fully married yet. The angel says, Elizabeth, you're going to conceive in your virgin womb. You're going to bring forth a child, the Son of God, and name him Jesus. And he will save his people from their sins. And Mary responds in a different way than Zacharias. She doesn't respond in doubt. She responds in faith. And she says, let it be to me as you have said. And so she got to talk for the next nine months. We saw last week the interaction between Mary and Elizabeth uh, and the baby in Elizabeth's womb leaping for joy. We heard the song of Mary when she said, The Lord has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant, and he has done great things for me. And we saw how uh, God, by his grace, caused Mary to have this baby, the Son of God, the Lord Jesus. And a nobody became a somebody in God's eyes. Uh, so, uh, back to Elizabeth and Zacharias. They're still blown away that they're having a baby. The baby is finally born. Elizabeth finally gets to be a mom after all those years. She receives the great gift of a son. Remember, Zacharias has not been able to say a word for the entire pregnancy. Meanwhile, the time comes for the ceremony of naming the baby. Everybody, neighbors, friends, relatives, they all have an opinion about what to name the baby. They're clamoring to name the baby. Some things never change, right? When you're going to have a baby, everybody has an idea about what you need to name that baby. All the friends and relatives say, you need to name him after his dad. And so name him Zach Jr. But Elizabeth said, no. The angel said, name him John. We need to name him John. All the friends and relatives say, but that doesn't make any sense. You don't have any Johns in your family. You got to name him a family name. So then they all turn. The Bible says they all turn to Zacharias, the old priest. And it says they make motions to him, uh, sign language, I guess. What do you want to do? And Zacharias motions for a writing tablet to be brought to him. And he writes down This short sentence, I want to put it on the screen so you can see it. I wrote it out in Greek for you so you can see what he wrote. Those words say, Yanes, estin anima autu. John is his name. And as soon as Zacharias wrote down those words, it really was a statement of faith. All of his doubts are gone. It was like when young Mary said, let it be to me as you have said. Uh, Zacharias was saying, I believe the word of the Lord that God, you did this just like you said, even though I doubted it, God, you did it. And immediately God gives him his speaking voice back and he's filled with the Holy Spirit and begins to praise the Lord. And he gives this prophecy about his own son, John, and even more so, he gives this prophecy about God's own son, Jesus. And the way that he says it, we're going to read it. The way he says it in the original language, it's poetic, it's lyrical, it's musical, and it's awesome. 
And it ought to be. He had nine months to think about what he was going to say. So let's read it. Luke 1 verse 67. The Bible says, Now his father, that's John's father, Zacharias, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. And he spoke as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets who have been since the world began that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. And you, child, and he's speaking of his son, John, you, child, will be called the prophet of the highest. And that's Jesus. For you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins through the tender mercy of our God with which the day spring from on high has visited us to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. It's quite a song. There's a sermon in every line But I want to do what maybe you've done with a a favorite song that you have. And that is sometimes you just fast forward to your favorite part, like the guitar solo or or the the chorus. I want to fast forward in this song uh, past a lot of really good stuff uh, to get to two really striking images of Jesus in this song. So here are two images in this song. Uh, Fast forward uh, to verse uh, 69. First, and, uh, and we find that Zacharias in the, the previous line has said, uh, Lord, I, I praise you, blessed are you for visiting and redeeming your people. He was talking about God coming, reaching down to save his people by redemption. That means paying a price to forgive their sin, paying a price. And we know that price was the death of his son, Jesus on the cross. It says, Lord, you visited and redeemed your people and come to rescue us from our sins. Now, at this point, I just want to point out, Zacharias has so much faith that he talks about the birth and the redemption of Jesus as if it's already happened. Nine months earlier, this man couldn't even believe that his wife was going to have a baby. Now, he's so confident in God's plan to send the Savior, Jesus, into the world, that he says it in the past tense as if it's already a settled fact and it's already happened. That's pretty strong faith. So in verse 69, here he tells us how God is bringing about this salvation and redemption for us. He says this in verse 69, that God has raised up, listen to this, a horn of salvation. He refers to the Lord Jesus as a horn of salvation. What in the world does that mean? Well, he's not talking about a musical instrument like a trumpet. Here, horn means what an animal has on its head sometimes. The sharp, in in particular, he's talking about the sharp and 
dangerous horn of a wild bull or a ram or a deer. Those animals use their horns to fight their enemies. You get the point? The point? Here's what he's talking about. All of the strength and the the conquering power of a bull or a ram or a deer is concentrated in its horns. That's why deer hunters keep the horns when they get a big buck. The bigger the horns, the better, because those horns are a symbol of that buck's strength and and, uh, vitality and dominance. That's why when the sugar bowl happens in in uh, a few weeks. The University of Texas is going to try to dominate their opponents by chanting what? Hook them horns, right? Because the horns of a big longhorn bull are dangerous. You don't want to tangle with that guy. And so the idea of Jesus being a horn of salvation is that that horn is a symbol of his power, his power, to save us. Think of it this way. All of the power and strength of God's salvation is concentrated in Jesus Christ. And when he was born into the world, he was born to exert all of God's power and all of God's strength to save us from our sin. When Jesus went to the cross, it may have looked like he had succumbed to his enemies and that it was a, 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 a moment of, of his weakness as he died for us. And, but then he rose from the dead and it proved that when Jesus went to the cross, he was actually exerting all of the power of God to conquer sin and Satan and death and hell and the grave for us. And in that way, Jesus is the horn of our salvation. But it's also a symbol of his protection over us because we know on our own, we are powerless to forgive our own sins and to save ourselves. And if that's not bad enough, on our own, we are powerless to defend ourselves against our enemy in this world, Satan. 1 Peter 5.8 warns us about that. It says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And so the Bible gives us that warning about our enemy. Like a roaring lion, Satan, and if you've been a Christian longer than about five minutes, you know this to be true, that Satan is always on the prowl, tempting you to sin, terrorizing your family, targeting you when you're down, twisting God's words, lying to you, deceiving you, accusing you, attacking you. But, and on our own, we're powerless to defend against that. But Jesus, Zacharias saying, is the horn of our salvation. He is strong to defend us and to defeat our greatest enemy. And so that's why Uh, Zacharias sings in verse 74 that we don't have to walk through our life with fear because of Jesus, the horn of our salvation. We don't have to be afraid. We can serve him, he says, without 
fear because our greatest enemy has been conquered by the power of Jesus Christ. That's good, isn't it? That's why I like what I read the other day from John Piper. He he said this. You're going to like this. He said, Satan may be a roaring lion seeking someone to devour, but he has been defeated and overpowered by Jesus, the horn of our salvation. Listen to what he said. If I were an artist, I would paint for my home a special Christmas painting this year and hang it on the wall near the manger scene. It would be one of those big oil canvases. The scene would be of a distant hill at dawn. The sun is about to rise behind the hill and the rays shoot up out of the picture. And all alone, silhouetted on the hill in the center of the picture, very dark, is a magnificent wild ox standing with his back seven feet tall and the crown of his head nine feet tall. On both sides of his head, there's a horn curving up and out six feet long and 12 inches thick at the base. He stands there sovereign and serene facing the southern sky with his massive neck slightly cocked and impaled at the end of his right horn hangs a huge lion dead. Satan. I don't know about you, that fired me up. Listen, we're powerless against the forces of hell, against Satan, against sin. We're powerless on our own. But in Jesus, the horn of our salvation, he is powerful. Jesus has conquered Satan, sin, death, hell for us. Because of that, we can rejoice and be glad. And every believer can sing along with Zacharias in verse 68 when he said, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and raised up a horn of salvation for us. Thank God for that. Thank God for that. Fast forward now to the end of the song for the second image I want to show you and and end with this. And that is, he calls Jesus the day spring from on high. In verse 78, that's what he says. He said, the day spring from on high has visited us. Uh, Verse 78, rather. The day spring from on high has visited us. Other versions of the Bible, instead of day spring, they say dawn or morning light or rising sun, sunrise. The word Zacharias used in his language was the Greek word anatole, anatole. It's a word in his language that described that moment. Maybe you've seen it before. That moment when you're looking at the horizon in the east in the morning and, and, and you know the sun is about to come up and you're waiting and you're waiting and then suddenly there's a moment where it wasn't there and then now the sun has appeared and it's daylight. The word literally means light bursting into darkness and ending the night. That's what it means. And that's what he calls Jesus. The day spring from on high, he said, has visited us. And so using that word, Zacharias prophesies that Jesus comes suddenly shining like a brilliant light ending the night. In verse 79, he says, Jesus will give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death. Now, who's he talking about? Who are those who are sitting in darkness 
and the shadow of death in this world that Jesus came for. Who are those people sitting in the darkness? Well, it's you. And it's me. And it's everybody else. It's all of humanity. All of us without Christ sitting in darkness. That's the spiritual reality for us as sinners. It means that we have without Christ. We have no salvation. We have no Hope, apart from Jesus, we are trapped in the darkness of judgment and death because of our sin. That's reality for every human being. That's who he's talking about. And spiritual darkness, this, is, this deserves our attention here because the Bible teaches there is an active evil power to spiritual darkness that blinds us and traps us and captivates us. For instance, Jesus said, on the night uh, that he was arrested and taken to the cross, uh, he said in Luke twenty-two fifty-three, 53, he, he talked about the power of darkness. This is your hour and the power of darkness. The Bible describes the moment of salvation in those terms as well in Colossians 1, 13. It says, he has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. And so to be lost is to be trapped and held in the power of darkness. That's who He's talking about. And the truth we find in Scripture is that only Jesus can overcome that darkness and overpower that darkness and set us free. That's why Jesus said in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Uh, Jesus is not just one source of light out of many that can get us out of that situation. He is the one and only source of light that can overpower and overcome the darkness. And here, here's what I fear. That is that people like me and maybe you who have been a Christian for a long time, you've been in church for a long time, sometimes we can forget what life is like in the darkness without Jesus. Sometimes we forget. And so let me just remind us what life is like in the darkness for a few minutes. The Bible teaches, first of all, and in fact, Zacharias sang about it in verse 79. Uh, the darkness is a place of death. He called it the shadow of death. Those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death. In our sin, you see, we live under that shadow and that sentence of death. That's the judgment for our sins. And so it's a place of death. There is no life there in the darkness, spiritually speaking. Also, let me remind us that the darkness is a place of deception. We're deceived by Satan. We'll believe anything, any weird philosophy, anything that will promise to give us hope and relief and, and something to take our mind off our troubles. People believe anything. It's a place of deception. Listen to 2 Corinthians 4 verse 3. It says, even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. Listen, whose minds, the God of this age, that Satan, has blinded who do not believe lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. For we do not preach ourselves, 
But Christ Jesus the Lord and ourselves, your bondservants, for Jesus' sake. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who is shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Listen, the only way uh, that, that we can be saved is if all of that deception and all of the lies of, of Satan, how he's blinded our minds, can be destroyed and, and, and pierced with the light of Jesus Christ. That's our only hope. Because the darkness is a place of deception. Also, the Bible teaches the darkness is a place of demonic attack. For real. Uh, Ephesians 6.12 says, We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. In the darkness, we're susceptible, we're defenseless against the attacks of Satan and all of his demons. And then last, we have to realize the darkness is a place of desperation. And if you understand that, then you'll understand why we're always amazed at the crazy, evil, perverted, wild, dumb things people do in an effort to just Forget about the darkness for a while. Help themselves to feel something at least for a few minutes. We wonder why people do what they do. It's because of the desperation there in the dark. People will try anything. Listen to Ephesians 4, 18. The Bible says they're darkened in their understanding. Alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. In desperation, people try all kinds of things to try to feel a little light and a little life. And listen, only Jesus can reverse that. We are helpless on our own to escape the power of spiritual darkness. But the good news, this is, this is Christmas, y'all. The good news is Jesus is the light of the world. And He alone can deliver us out of the darkness and into the light. Other religions and philosophies promise light, but they only lead to greater darkness. Education is supposed to bring enlightenment where your eyes are opened and and you're awakened to truth. But without Jesus, all you end up with is a degree and a little smarter, but you're still in the dark. Success in business, romantic relationships, doing good things, other accomplishments, all those things leave you in the dark without Jesus. Only Jesus can overcome the darkness of sin. And so this is what we have to sing about uh, at Christmas time, it's the good news of Zachariah's song today that everybody sitting in the darkness can have that dayspring moment when, when light, the light of Jesus comes, when Jesus steps in and, and he chases away the darkness and illuminates your heart and brings you to salvation. You believe in him, he instantly forgives you and the light of his truth and his grace replaces all of the sin and all of the darkness and all of the lostness in that moment of salvation. That's that day spring moment that Zacharias sang about. Uh, You've been really patient. This is it and I'm, I'm done. 
One more verse, Acts 26, 17, and 18. This is how Jesus explained to the Apostle Paul what happens when we share that gospel with someone who is trapped in the darkness and they believe. Listen, listen to what he said. He said, I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I now send you to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Uh, Here's what he's saying. He's saying, look, Paul, when you share the gospel with someone, when you tell somebody about the light of Jesus, something incredible happens. Jesus can open their eyes to the truth. He can, he can turn them in a moment, in a day spring moment from darkness to light. And he comes in and he changes their spiritual status forever. And he releases them from the power of Satan and the power of sin and the power of darkness. And all their sins are forgiven, covered in the blood of Jesus. And they're brought into God's family forever. Wow. That's, what, <laughs> that's the gift we have for the world, right? Question, have you had that day-spring moment? Have you ever had that day-spring moment where you're in the dark and then in in a moment in time when Jesus steps in and he opens your heart and he opens your eyes and, and, and he puts light where there was darkness in your mind and he causes you to understand the gospel And you believe, and in that moment, He transfers you from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of Christ. Have you ever had that that moment of salvation like that? I want to tell you today, you don't have to sit in the dark anymore. Not because Jesus was born and Jesus came into this world and He went to the cross and He carried your sins there. And he died for you and rose again so that you could be saved. That's what he did. You don't have to sit in the dark anymore. And and that's good news. That Jesus has come and he is our, I know it sounds weird to our ears. He is our horn of salvation and he is the day spring from on high. Let's stand together. And I want us to pray together this morning. Will you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, I want to pray for people like me who have been in the church, in your kingdom for a long time. God, may we never forget what it's like out there in the dark. And during Christmas time, at office parties and company parties and family gatherings, we're going to be around a lot of people, people we love, who are still in the darkness. And they do desperate things there. And they're deceived there. And Lord, our our desire is that we want them to come to the light and be saved. I pray you would use us to carry that light to them 
with just a word or a verse from Scripture. To share what you've done for us. We pray you would use us, Lord, to carry that message that can bring them out of the dark and into the light forever. Lord, I pray for anybody here who is still sitting in the darkness. I thank you, Lord, that they don't have to stay there because Jesus came. I pray that today, right now, they would have that moment when you step in and you bring everything to light and you forgive and you save. If that's you I'm talking about, I I pray that right now you're calling on the Lord. Lord, I believe. Save me out of this darkness. Lord, I thank you that those who are trapped in the darkness of depression and grief and regret and shame, Lord, you have power over that darkness too. And I pray that you would lift it and shine the light of your truth into our lives. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, if you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure to subscribe and share. And if you want a pastor to follow up with you regarding today's message, reach out to us at severe.church slash follow up. Thanks again for joining us on the First Baptist Church Severeville podcast.